0: This is Outside the Vines, a podcast that fuses three big names from the world of sports, their love of wine, and their thirst for sports. For the video version of this podcast, check out our YouTube channel. There you get to enjoy the visual side of our podcast with next-level infographics, and you get to witness the reactions from our guests and hosts while they taste the wines. All right, let's get to it. Here are your hosts for Outside the Vines, Ted Robinson, Glenn Parker, and Ashley Adamson.
1: All right. Welcome to or welcome back to Outside the Vines, where we dive into the intersection of sports and wine. I've been looking forward to this episode because, well, for a variety of reasons. Number one, we usually taste one or two varieties. Today, we've got four gorgeous wines to taste, and our guest today... Terry Hogue, the proprietor and winemaker of TH Estate Wines in Paso Robles. Thanks so much for being here and and sharing your wine with us.
0: It's my pleasure, Ashley. Thank you for having me.
1: You have a great story about how you and your wife, Jennifer, got into the wine business. Your your background in sports, though, is is where I want to start before we get into the wine. Uh, It's a good time to be a Georgia Bulldog right now. We'll start with that. You were a two-time All-American safety at Georgia in the 80s, two-time academic All-American, Heisman candidate, SEC athlete of the year in 84, eventually the third round draft pick by the saints. And you go on to play 13 seasons in the NFL. But the footnote to all of that is the fact that Georgia was your only D one offer. So first things first, I'm just super curious, fill me in on how close you maybe were or weren't to even having the, you know, college football hall of fame career that you ended up having.
0: Oh, so far away from expectations that you can't even imagine. Um, my dad taught, uh, he was a professor at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, where I grew up. And, you know, I couldn't even get them to, uh, to offer me a scholarship. But a friend of my father's, a gentleman named Dick Payne uh had a friend on the staff of the University of Georgia at the time. So this is you know nineteen seventy nine or the spring of nineteen eighty. So Dr. So Dr. Payne uh would harass this gentleman um, who was uh, his name was Mike Cabin and he was friends with Steve Greer and they were at the time um recruiting uh somebody you've probably heard of a guy named Herschel Walker <laughs> Uh, And so they were kind of babysitting Herschel and this uh, professor kept calling the, the, the staff and saying, Hey, you got to come look at this kid and you got to come look at this kid. And so I guess Mike and and Steve were um, uh, sitting in a hotel room in Wrightsville and they looked at each other and like, let's go do something. Let's go to Texas and look at that kid that the guy keeps bugging us about. And so they flew out to Huntsville uh, and, they set up an appointment with my the head coach, uh, Joe Clements, and he come. They walk into the room. They, he says, "I got it all. I got all the uh, tape of Lloyd Archie put up on the on the reel." And they were like, "Who?" And this is another good real, a really good uh, football player that we had on our team. He said, um, uh, "Aren't you here to look at Lloyd Archie?" And they were like, "No, we're here to look at Terry Hogue. And it, like took him aback a little bit. And um, they said they sat down and I'm sure there's, they say this to everybody, um, but uh, they said they sat down and watched the film. They saw like four or five plays and they said they knew they wanted to sign me and they got up and left. And, you know, come to find out that... They didn't have a scholarship for me at the at the beginning, but as they went through the entire scholarship process, there were a couple of scholarships that they had left over at the end of the at the end of the process. And Coach Dooley wanted somebody who he knew would go to class and he knew would graduate. And so he offered me a scholarship. And he told me a couple of years ago, I had no idea you could play football. So,
2: <laughs> so that's how I get it. <laughs>
1: It's a yeah. great story.
2: Was was there a love of football? Did you have that just absolute love and passion for it, or was it something you were just really good at and the doors opened?
0: Uh, well, this, this is going to disappoint a lot of people. I think I, do, I don't have a lot of passions. Um, I'm just a doer. I just do things. Um, and you know, I played basketball. We had a, I was I, basketball is my favorite sport, and I feel very fortunate that I've. Throughout my entire life, I've been able to hang around people who are are way more talented than me. Uh, but we won the state championship in basketball in Texas in two years of my high school career. You know, I want a. I was on a team that won a national championship in my collegiate career, and I was on a team that won a, a Super Bowl uh, championship uh, in my professional career. And I've 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 never been the greatest athlete. I've never been the guy that's going to lead the, lead the way. But I'm a, I'm a doer. If you ask me to get something done, I'm going to get it done for you.
1: No, it's it's an amazing story, and I think Terry, your de- your decision and you know, kind of your journey and your path to get into wine is something that I feel like big picture is is something that everybody should hear, no matter what industry they work in or what their uh, career is, because it it sort of feels like a life lesson in realizing that you don't have to follow a career path because it feels like the safe one or the one that's going to necessarily make you the most money or that your friends and family think makes sense. So after football. You you have a chance to get into finance, from what I understand.
0: Actually, I was doing I was you doing training
1: Merrill Lynch, you passed your Series Seven exams. Tell tell me about how that you know staring down that path and why didn't you go there? Well,
0: actually, I was doing that path while I was playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I, I would go in and uh, you know coat and tie every day and go through the whole process. And they have they have a, a huge program there where they they train their staff. They're extremely they were extremely well trained back in the in the nineteen eighties. Uh, but I, I did that for exactly six months and realized that that was never going to be who I could be. I'm not a coat and tie kind of guy. And I'm not a sit down at the desk kind of guy. Um, And so when we were were playing, I I knew that I wasn't going to do that. And then we got to the end of my career in Philadelphia. I got 2 kids. And uh, so this is 1994-95. And I get waived um, by the Arizona Cardinals kind of middle of the season. Vince Tobin was the new head coach there. He'd come in after Buddy Ryan. And I think he also followed Buddy in Chicago uh, after Buddy went to the Eagles. So Tobin was always kind of following, following Buddy around. Um, but uh, Vince Hogan waved me uh, about 10, 10 weeks into the season. And I can remember my, my wife talking to me the night before. And I went to bed and I got up the next morning and she had made me this beautiful, beautiful breakfast. You know, like all the accoutrements, fresh uh, squeezed orange juice, the whole nine yards. And right on the side next to my coffee was a cup of coffee. Or, or right next to my cup of coffee was the want ads. And she'd gone through and circled like three or four jobs that she might think I might be able to apply for. Uh, but I told her that I've been trying to get—I'm trying to get through my life without ever holding a job, and I've, I'm getting pretty good. at I'm getting pretty close. I'm, I'm 59, and I've never really gone to the office or had a job.
2: You know, you—you you echo something that that I say all the time, Terry. And, and the way you went about your path is—is is a lot, You hear a lot of. People today say, "Oh, find your passion, follow your passion." Well, I, I think that's the worst advice I've ever given to anybody. Because to follow your passion, I mean, if all you have to do is look at like uh, you know American Idol, and there's thousands of people who have a passion for music, and most of them are pretty bad at it, you know. So it's like I, I was, I was always told, find what you're good at and develop a passion for it if you can. And that's kind of how I got to football. And it sounds a lot like that's how you got to it. Your your passion was probably basketball. But football just came something. my passion.
0: This is this is also back in the 60s and 70s when, you know, they didn't have like club teams and all that kind of stuff. You know, these kids are like full time uh, players, you know, professional players yeah. Yeah. kind of now. But, you know, when I was growing up, probably when you were growing up, you were passionate about the sport that was in season. So in basketball season, you were passionate about basketball and football season, you were passionate about football, you know, and I was a track, I, I ran track and high jumped. And so, you know, that's what I was passionate about in spring.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we, we know that you say no, no football ends. Uh, finance is not it. Had a chance maybe to go into coaching.
0: So yeah, so my wife had the one, ad, the one ads out for me, and, and I'm like, well, I think we can do figure something out. But uh, so I actually started a construction company, and we started building like custom homes and and uh, stuff, things like that. And I enjoyed that a lot. I, I didn't realize uh, playing football that I really had a, a artistic desire, and but kind of building fulfilled that because um, I would get to like create something from nothing even if you know it was somebody else's dream home I was you know you bring it up from the ground and it's um, it's it's fulfilling uh, but I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life to be honest with you but, um, it's a there's a different clientele or a, a different employee type that you get uh, in the wine industry than from the framing industry I can tell you that there's not a lot of guys drinking wine on the on a construction pad.
1: We need to change that. By the way, we need to we need to change that. No, we need to. I think we need to get more wine in the construction business. That's what so far. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Right. Thank
3: you.
2: Well, let's talk, well, let's talk about let's talk about your Pinot um, because I was I was surprised when I saw Paso Robles and I was like, okay, well, I, I know a lot of the area up there, but I thought <clears throat> this it's going to be interesting where they source from. And I was reading his source. Right. From so Al- this is from Rosemary's Vineyard. Is this correct? is actually
0: my wife's passion project. Um, there's some really long winded stories about this label as well. Um, but she does, it, uh, she, her idea was because we've been doing Rhone varietals and blending, uh, you know, basically making, uh, you know, like a chef kind of combining flavors and trying to come up with the best combination. She said, you know, I want to do the same thing in Pinot's. Um, and so she would go to different. Uh, Places particularly for, and she did a ton of work, uh, particularly to know, you know, what type of, um, uh, you know, what, what type of what soil, where does she want this grape to come from, this clone, this particular thing. So, she, Rosemary's Vineyard was the opportunity for her to kind of break in in a big way because Rosemary's Vineyard is a pretty relatively famous vineyard in Arroyo Grande. So, not actually in the Paso Robles AVA. Um, and most of her stuff came from Santa Rita Hills. But I want to say that the Rosemary Vineyard, yeah, she's here. Let me see. Jennifer, Rosemary, Rosemary. no, you're not.
3: <laughs> Just talk. Yeah, get her yeah. over here. The Rosemary Vineyard is, is the closest vineyard to the ocean. So it has really, really great views. <laughs> uh-uh, I in my canvas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. <pleasant. laughs> it's closest to the ocean and it. Was has, it
0: sandy? Sandy soils? No, no that was radiant.
3: Mm-hmm. No, that's actually um, Zodovich. Okay. But um, and what I did is I picked site specific places and certain clones that I think would perform well in those locations. Um, there's so many clones in Pinot Noir. And each exhibit a different characteristic. This one that you're going to be trying right now is a clone 115 and 767. 767 is pretty big. 115 is a spectacular blending, um, very structured, great. And um, I just, I I bought by the acre. So I bought a section of the vineyard and, you know, got to dictate the farming and, a lot of things, which was really great. And um, this one, it produces juice a little bit sooner than, say, um, some areas of Santa Rita Hills because it's... Um, has much more fog influence in Santa Rita Hills than there, even though there is a great deal of fog influence in San Luis Obispo, it does get a little warmer. So, this is going to be a little bit larger style, kind of similar to what people would expect when they would open up a California Pinot Noir from like Sonoma or the, you know, the the Santa Cruz area or even um, the coastal area of um, San Luis Obispo County. Which is going to be slightly warmer than Santa Rita Hills. Anyway, there's my <laughs> two cents on that one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I love it. Well,
2: because yeah, that what struck me is okay, we're talking Paso Robles and, and all of a sudden we're talking Tally Vineyard and I'm like a Pinot. I'm like, okay, that's a cooler area. It ought to be interesting to see what you guys have come up with. So, uh, you know, when I, when I automatically, you know, Pinot, everybody says, oh, it's cherry. I Yeah, the, there's, there's red fruit, but there's a lot of dark fruit with this. And there, you get a real, um, there's a real spice um, and warmth in this, um, and I haven't tasted yet. But my guess is it's it's probably a little uh, higher alcohol than some. I'm gonna guess it's fourteen to fifteen. Something. Yeah, well, <sighs> alcohol. I'll be right back. <laughs> I love this. Fourteen six. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. that you get on the nose, and you can actually. It. You get also get a little bit more
0: glycerol and yes. kind of mouth and coating. What's amazing is the
2: finish. Is there is a, a fairly bright, acid, um, acidic finish, but the cherry is where you, you don't get as much on the nose, but it sure pops through on the on the palate. As, you, as you're finishing up, it's, it's, it's a, it's a structure. It's not hugely tannic, but yet it's not, it's not one of those weak,
0: reedy pinots. I mean, I think that's one of the things that you kind of go through all of our, all of our wines. We, we try to create a wine that has, uh, that's a seamless experience. And with doing Rhone varietals, you, you have a lot of leeway with, because you have so many different components that you can kind of play with. Um, and I think that what you'll find is, uh, across the four samples that we have here tonight, uh, they'll all be different, but they will all be seamless. The experience from beginning to end, it all kind of makes sense and it, and it feels, it, it should feel good in your mouth. I'm big, I'm a big textural guy. I, I matter, it matters to me kind of, um, you know. What the, t- I, it can be tannic, but what are they like? And do they, do they match kind of everything else that's going on in the wine? Uh, the alcohol, the acidity. That was another thing that Jennifer and I learned early in our um, experiences that acidity is extremely important. It is, it's, it's a huge friend of the, of the winemaker.
2: Well, yeah. You know, and it's one of those things that um, people who underplay acidity, they, People will be on an issue to go, oh, this is a sweeter one. No, it's fruit, but there's no acid to, to kind of mellow out that that sweet, almost cloying feeling that you can get. If that's right. kind of how the, the acid interplays.
1: Okay, so before we move on, and I do want to, because one of the first things that Glenn said, and I had this exact same reaction when I opened the beautiful tasting that you sent us, was just like what an awesomely beautiful packaged uh, tasting that we have. So we've got four that we're going to be drinking today, and I I'm just curious in terms of is I'm I'm gonna I don't want to assume anything, but knowing that Jennifer is kind of like the interior designer, and she's is she the one that helps when you think about packaging and you look at labels and all the things that you do from you know not just the wine standpoint but the presentation. How does that come together?
0: Yeah. <laughs> So the answer I'm going <laughs> to give you is, it's always her idea. <laughs> well, but I'm, to, to tell you, to, to tell you the truth, but to tell you the truth, I, I, I named her wine for her, her, her brand. She couldn't come up with a name. And I said, well, you know, why don't you do with your wine what I've kind of done with my wine is and from time to time pay tribute to the people that uh, have helped you and, and you've met along the way. And she was uh, in the first graduating class of um, um, NOCA, New Orleans Center for Creative Arts in New Orleans. And she was in the mime troupe. Which was a very prestigious thing, evidently. And there's a gentleman named um, Etienne de Crue, who was the father of corporal mime, and uh, he would teach people how to emote with their with their body without saying any words. Uh, and you know, like very very famous uh, movie stars and actors and stuff. They all they all go. They would go and in, and in, in take. Lessons from this guy, and so she got a scholarship to go to uh, Paris and uh, take lessons from this guy for like six months or something. And his name's Etienne de Cru. So the name of her her wine is de Creux, His last name. So she's paying homage to him. And then That's I nice. said, "Why don't you make? Why don't you make the the background kind of like a map of Paris? You know, just kind of like a yeah. a a, met, a metaphorical map, just kind of like." And so she, that's what she did. So, and, but she did a wonderful job with it. I. She just. She's dying. She's dying behind me. She's just can't can't believe
3: because I can't remember a story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, anyway, so that's so you that's got yeah. The true okay, one. So
3: there was one.
1: You've got one. That's right. right. Okay. So I got then, one. I, and I do want to. The names are really interesting to me. So, the, moving on to the to the next one, which is the twenty eighteen, the skins. Which is ninety six percent Grenache, from what I.
0: It could be. That's fifteen percent, four percent Moubed. Yeah. Tell me
1: about this name.
0: So skins, um, since you guys know about about wines, uh, you, you've heard everybody say that the skins are the most important aspect of of the fruit that you're trying to make wine from. And well, yeah, my wife's saying this because you get that's where you get the tannin and the structure and and uh, the flavors and you know all the really interesting things in wine uh, are in the skins. And then I I won a Super Bowl with the Washington football team.
2: What year was that? I don't know that I, I, I.
0: so that was 1991.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember that game because I was on the other side. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it took us way too long to get to that. I should have led with that. That was my bad. It was one of
2: the fun ones to go to. The way. They, for some reason, they in the NFL's uh, infinite wisdom. They had us play in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it was uh, really
0: <laughs> right. So that so actually that gives me a lot, of, a lot of history. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna punch down on you.
1: <laughs> That's, are, are Glenn like, went to a lot of. Road, uh, <laughs> I went to five
2: Super Bowls and didn't win a one. Don't worry, I am very proud of
0: every one of those five teams, as you know. Very tough. Yeah, you should, and you and you should be. I mean, to, to get to to get to that point is like winning the lottery. Yeah, yeah.
1: Glenn, I my think. my favorite quote of Glenn's is: "In order to lose five Super Bowls, you have to make it's, it to five,
0: Super, just five bowls. Super Bowls." Yeah. So,
1: which is a lot more than most people could say.
0: Exactly. Um
1: okay, so so Glenn, tell me, have you have you tasted this one yet? I've, I've been I've been
2: really inhaling the aromas. Grenache uh, is there. It's the it's the bright fruit. It's the it's the uh, it's that um you're gonna get there's red fruit on this. There's also a little bit of um I don't I, I don't I don't like to use too many words to describe wine because I think it gets kind of pompous but there's some certainly some um there's a vegetal, vegetative, like, but not vegetable, but you know what I'm saying. Kind of an herb, not a herb, but yeah, it's there. Maybe it's an herb note. Yeah, there you go. Maybe I'll go with herbaceous. And then there's certainly a lot. There's some spice, and that I think that spice that herbaceousness comes more from the move edge that that bigger backbone kind of just pops in there a little bit. But love them. the
0: nose is nice. You know, I'm actually. So I've turned over my winemaking in the last few years. So now I'm just kind of the consulting winemaker. This is actually one of my, uh, protege's, uh, blends. And he's been sneaking Moved into a lot of stuff. And it's, it's not because we have that. I much Moved. it, Moved's a wonderful, a wonderful fruit. I'm, I'm thinking that he probably did it here for just a, a hint of structure probably to to cut the acidity well, really just a little bit and also color yeah. it up. The color
1: is beautiful. I mean just so that you have a nice well it comes across on screen but uh, it, it works beautiful color. This is a, yeah.
0: a really nice blend. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a nice mouth a nice mouth feel um, it kind of goes it kind of coats your mouth kind of goes across and then as you're finishing it and you, you get a little bit of the acid kind of down to- your tongue as, as you finish. I'm sorry, Jeremy, so I I feel like you
2: I just looked at it. It's 15% alcohol. It
0: does not taste like that. At I wasn't going to say anything. Again. No. I, uh, um, uh, Phil Montana, the kid that's uh, been making wines for me the last few years, You know, his when he came in, he was like, I want to make low alcohol wines. I, I know I can show people that they're going to be awesome. And I said, you know, probably you're going to want to end up around 15% here. I've just noticed that that kind of is a nice sweet spot for the wines. And he fought it for a couple of years and really tried to, to craft wines that would be a lower in alcohol. But he's come, he's come around to the fact that, you know, in a, in a balanced line uh, from start to finish, in past robles because you're gonna have ripe fruit. Um, you're not it's not gonna be a matter of sugar. Fifteen percent is a pretty nice place to land. Yeah, it's, I would think it's because reasonable the climate moderate.
2: there's so much there's enough heat you're gonna get the fruit ripe. Um, and they're gonna unlike some places that the fruit ripens at thirteen, you know, mm-hmm. where you're gonna be at a thirteen, you're ripening it's very tough I would think, right. to make any wine under the the fifteen unless you really start taking away some of the characteristics of it.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think you could do it. but You would either kind of be going back and making the plump that the guys were making uh, way back in the day whenever we were just shipping the, the fruit out to uh, Napa um, because they would pick it, you know, like 22 and a half, kind of like a, a, a French Burgundy. And it, you know, a Syrah is not a French Burgundy. Uh, and as people finally figured out how to let the fruit get ripe here, all the really lush and beautiful flavors. And you go to you go to the Rhone region. I like Rhones because we we do all Rhone's except for Jennifer's Pinot. Um yeah. they're all they're all alcoholic. They all they all are more. No used to use the
3: Rhones in Burgundy yeah. in uh, Bordeaux in in And
0: Jennifer's just giving me a little bit of history. Evidently, um Bordeaux and Burgundy. Uh, would use Rhone uh, fruit to I it's beef that
1: to sound like I know that doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Yeah. Why? Why? What? What was it? I, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm curious. What, it what was mean. it? I mean, you are focused on producing, you know, Rhone style wines. So, what about, you know, those flavor profiles you both in? Yeah.
0: Because they taste. <laughs> number one, I don't. I don't like the cab profile, and I'm sorry, but I just don't. And people always show me these beautifully made cabs, and even a beautifully made cab, I'm just like, uh, it's like it has, they do, and I'll drink. I mean, it's completely serviceable, but if you're asking me what I want, um, I'm gonna go fruit. And you don't get really, I mean, you can get fruit in a burgundy, but you don't get fruit in a burgundy like you do in a roan. I mean, roan is just kind of all. It's luscious.
1: Okay, so that's why I'm excited to t- taste uh, the next one that we're trying is the 46,
3: which is 40%. Yeah.
0: So the 40. So the 46 is named after 46 defense that I played for Buddy Ryan for a lot, a lot of my career, and then we live off of Highway 46 and past Robles. That's kind of the main thoroughfare thoroughfare through yeah. town. Uh, 47 Syrah, Grenache. Yeah, see, he stuck some Mauvet in here. So this was originally for Jennifer and I, um, just a 50-50 blend. Uh, but my winemaker's earning his keep, I guess. And he's so he's sneaking in a little bit of Mauvet.
3: He's making great scores, too. Yeah. And Jennifer wants me to point out that <laughs> he's making a life. Amazing that a scores. Life.
2: Well
0: done, Jennifer. Uh, <laughs> he got his,
3: I love Jennifer.
0: He, he, evidently he evidently I didn't know this. This is new to me. They got a, a we got a ninety-eight on something. What do we get a ninety-eight on? A
3: Syrah.
0: A Syrah? Mm-hmm. From who? Um, Jeff
3: Dunn
0: Very sweet. Well, From right, uh, Jeff Dunning. So, you I didn't know.
3: You Got ninety sixes with Matt Kevin from and Enthusiast.
2: I was just gonna say, was you know, going to say forty six because of the road and the defense. Or you could have named it the Doug Plank. I mean, either way, you wanted to go about it for the.
0: would have been.
2: probably would have appreciated that.
0: <laughs> I- I met Doug Plank one time when I was playing for the Cardinals with Buddy. He came to visit Buddy during practice. No. He, geez, was your, he was just he not was, a very big guy. He was a
2: guy that was built well. And, and for all about six foot But tall he would hit, I guess. Um, I, I, I worked with him and got to know him a lot in, in, in the days. Right after I retired, when I was working, I, I would work for NBC and do a lot of the arena games. And he was involved, helping out. And, and then, of course, I worked for the Cardinals for many years. Uh, post post NFL retirement and broadcast so I got to know him there as well and uh, so the Doug Plank connection is one that you know I know and, and it's only coming to light recently that that's why the 46 was named the 46 simply because of, that was the number Doug Plank wore
0: right well it's it's, yeah, it's only uh, because no. <laughs> your yeah, buddy doesn't call anybody by name and he only call he only and it's true he only calls you by number and so when he would when he would grade the film, and we used to call it the Triple Crown, and I can't remember what the third part of the Triple Crown was, but he would read he would read the play and say whatever, and then he'd go down ninety ninety two dumbass thirty four horseshit forty seven whatever. And there was you could be you could be a dumbass shit or I can't remember what the third one was, but you, that we called the triple crown when you that's could get awesome. all three of those in one place. Yeah, that,
2: that's, that's the old
0: school coach. that can't play it. Can't go so because the players are too sensitive.
3: Uh.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, so what they put the number your numbers on the back of your helmet. And that was so that when he was wa- cause he watched from behind. And so that's who he knew how to yell at. Yes. Yeah, he wouldn't yell your name. We say, hey, thirty-four, you're a dumbass. Oh, okay. I knew that, coach. Thank you. I shouldn't be over here. I should be on the other side of the field. Well, I know. I,
2: four six. Let's let's get us I mean
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I don't want to skip ahead because the thirty-four is what we're the three four is what we're drinking last. Well, I mean, not, let's, here we are on the four six. Yeah. Going to four six.
2: You know, it, it, this this is to me is this is um yeah this is where Sherrod, I think is coming out. Um you uh, for me it's I always, and maybe it's me, but there are some shara that come out and you get a little little molasses, but some come out and you get a little... Licorice, and this is kind of right between the two of them. That that uh, what do I, I call it? Gelatinous sugars. I don't know how else to say it because I cook a lot too, and that's that kind of that caramelized gelatinous sugar you get, um, right? So it's it's that very deep sugar fruits there, sugars there, there's spice, but then now you're starting to get into that when you do the essence tasting all the way around, start getting into the saddle letters, the tobacco, and all that stuff. Right. In. So very typical.
0: Yeah, if you have if you have a good (laughs) imagination, you can go all kinds of places with this. But for me, when I when I when I put it in my mouth, it immediately you know is glycerol and, and coats and coats my mouth, and then I get I get some bright red fruits, and then I get some darker red fruits, and then the acidity picks up and carries you into the end. But it's not hot, even though it's. Fifteen.
2: The grenache uh, gives you that. Uh, the grenache gives you the bright fruit on top of that syrah, and that moveed. That little bit at the end is that. That
0: structure.
3: It's
0: it's been age twenty eight to thirty ago. So this. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm being negligent on my duties. Um, this wine. Is our uh, we we do two we do two wines we do a uh, kind of a normal uh, aging on on wood um, and then we we craft a forty six and then we kind of take parts of that and we put it back in barrel and, wow. and age it for another year or so um, uh, before we bottle it which kind of. Um, Helps create that seamless that seamless experience and then it's kind of the layer the layering of of flavors. What babe? It's
3: fifteen point two
2: five.
0: Yeah, it's fifteen point two five.
2: So you know, I think next time we do this, we get both of you on together, and she. I think this will be a lot of fun with the two of you just leading us through this whole thing. Because I think this, she is a superstar back there.
0: You you obviously don't know us very well.
2: <laughs> no, I've been married a long time too, and I have a feeling it's not much different okay. from our relationship.
1: Well, I'm just laughing about what what you yeah. said to her about Santa Barbara because I had that exact same conversation with my husband a couple years ago when we went to Santa Barbara for the first time. Oh yeah, this is this is where we need to be. And he said, "Well, your husband can Yeah, you find a new husband that can afford to live here. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, oh, you're in Santa Barbara. You should come up and visit.
1: Well, and I, I figured he would have us Now, officially, now that I know where you guys are, I'm, I'm, we do come down that way. We're up in San Francisco. You know, and I will definitely.
2: Just last week, I was in Santa Barbara at a few wineries, and I just didn't have time to come up. So I'll be up there again uh, at some point in the near future, and I'll make sure I I call ahead.
0: <laughs> I'm going to chastise all of you for not showing up.
1: <laughs> you should. We'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. All right. Hey, I got so a question before we move on to the last one, real quick. Okay. So, it, for me, is more of the wine novice on this podcast. I like to, you know, I'm more of like the the everyman. Uh, I represent the the average wine drinker, and to me, it's always so fun to talk about like the verbiage that is used when describing wine. Because, I mean, Glenn said it. If you if you go down a rabbit hole and you start using too many words, you kind of lose it. So. To me, like some of the descriptors make a ton of sense, and I get it. And some of them just make no sense at all. So what is the most ridiculous term that you have heard to describe uh, wine?
0: Uh, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. But I, I, could, I can tell you that you've hit, you've hit upon something that I, I've been hoping to help demystify in the, in the wine industry for a really long time is, is the verbiage. And one of the reasons that people don't like to drink wine is they don't feel like they can say the right words.
3: Yeah,
0: I'm going to tell you a story about myself that should allow anybody to say the words that come to mind. We used to uh, go like every two other week. Uh, this is back in the early 80s, kind of when the excitement of Paso was starting to build. There were groups of guys that would get together. In 2000s. In the 2000s. Um it's really hard with, if you you gotta hold the, the cue card straight so I can
3: see
2: I have to ask you this Terry. if you're like me I have a thought and my wife will interject and all of a sudden I can't remember what the hell I was saying in the first place
0: I think I, I think I've met you there a few times during this pro- <laughs> podcast. <laughs> God bless her, but she's. I'm starting to lose my sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel. I feel your pain. I really do. <laughs> oh, okay, so people
1: good. not understand. Yeah, so I people
3: feeling words, 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 like the
0: verbiage. So now we're all right. So all of us would get together, and we'd bring our wines, and we'd put them in paper bags, and everybody would pour them, and then we would all vote on them, and you know, we would go around and talk about them before we unveiled who they were and what they were. And I'm sitting in with this group of guys. There's a couple of the guys, you know, have, uh, have been scored really well by Parker. So, you know, everybody bows down to them and, you know, there's some other guys that are, are making some really good stuff. And, you know, so there's a lot of ego in the room and there's a lot of, everybody wants to make the best wine. And I can remember they, somebody poured a wine and it was reduced or uh, had become reductive uh, and it's there was were um, captains and I didn't know what' a captain was at the time <laughs> um, and <clears throat> I'm like tasting this wine and I'm like I couldn't get away from it i I stick my nose in it I drink it every single time I was in big brand tire showroom okay that's because of all the the rubber which is a mercaptan like smell but i'm like i couldn't get that out of my head and so to all of these people you know it's like uh you you guys probably already know who all these people are but i mean like to with stefan Aceo and justin smith and eric jensen and like all of the uh, scott holly and and guillaume farber i mean all the guys that are making this these amazing wines now and have gotten tons of we're all sitting in this room and i'm gonna like I don't know guys but you know to me it just it smells like big brand tires <laughs> and they all you know ha 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 like, no you know what no, that's fantastic so my po- my point is is that my point is is that you only have the experiences that you have in your life if you've never been given fennel or you've never been given anise you may not know how to name it but it might it might say that's like a sausage or like something that you've had which is completely different than the thing that it is. But people can't get past that because they think they have to be right.
3: Yeah.
0: And really nobody can be wrong because I cannot tell you what you're tasting. Only you can tell me what you're tasting. Terry, I love And you can only do it with the language that you have. I love that.
2: Thank you. Because you just echoed my sentiments exactly, but about... I was about ten years, or maybe not even that ahead. I was in <laughs> Napa having Sauvignon Blanc. There was a French winemaker there, and a person that was. We were going through, and I'm, we're smelling this, and the Frenchman saying, "Oh, this is Topique, you know, and I'm like, "No, this is cat piss. It's for captains. It's in in white wine. It comes across in my smell as." It's the cat has marked his territory and it's awful. And but French, oh, it's to peak. I'm like to peak, like it's typical, like that shouldn't be typical in any wine that I want to enjoy. And and you're yeah. right. And in, in some, I've had it in other times, you're exactly right. It smells like I've walked into discount tire. That's what it smells like. It's like, whoa, what is that? I'm, what I'm right. smelling it. You
0: get a lot of, you get a lot of rubber and like hydrogen sulfide and kind of rotten egg, kind of sulfury, kind of yucky. Yucky I have smells. been
2: invited in many of those
0: But I, I try to encourage I try to encourage people to just use the vocabulary that they feel comfortable with yeah. and then the people around them or hopefully will be accommodating and like try to meet this person on their experience. And if they know more, maybe they can teach them a little bit. Well, I know. if they don't know more, they can all just. And can't they? Can't they also look at it and go, you know what? It does smell like that.
2: We just have this name for it. Because many times the, that smell right. you're spelling is the smell. That's what it is. It, it's it's your best way of identifying that smell. It's 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 very similar to. No right. one can tell you what a French horn sounds like, but if you hear it and then you hear it in orchestra, you know what the French horn is. But this how you hear it's different than anybody else. So.
0: Right. Got it right. And then the other thing I wish people would do is stop is when in critiquing wines, and I don't know, we've probably done this through the entire episode. So, uh, but when critiquing wines, you, you pick out the things that are good about it. Um, not the things that are lacking in it because most of the time you pop a cork of a wine, you're looking to have an enjoyable time. You're looking to yuck it up with your friends, uh, or it's at a dinner or something where you want it to be memorable. So, you know, a lot of people want to go to the negative aspects. Oh, I can pick out a flaw in this. This is, you know, too alcoholic, too acidic, too tannic, not tannic enough, too sweet. Um, but instead, taking the challenge and saying the things that you like about the wine, because really those are the things that will help you remember a wine. I know that Jennifer and myself, uh, we were at a restaurant in London uh, for one of the football games that we played over there. And we went to Babindum, which is the old Michelin Tire, talking about tires, the old Michelin tire building in, in London. And had the most amazing wine. It was,
3: Italian.
0: it was an Italian wine. And we actually smelled it from another table, like a, they had decanted it, and it was like wafting over our way. And we're like, we want one of those. <laughs> Um, and that was just a, that was just a really wonderful experience. But there was, you know, even though we were in the Michelin building, there was no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's funny. You, I, I'm glad you say it, because uh, what we do here, we are not we're not a wine critique. We are not a wine review. We are a enjoy and find out about the winemakers and then talk about the wine something and what we love about them, and, you know, all the different things. So. That's what this is all about. So thank you for bringing that to the fore, because that's really important to us as well. Um, we're, we're here to enjoy. We're here to have fun for this, for this hour or so we get to do this and meet people like yourself and your wonderful wife, Jennifer, back there, who's helping helping us all out. That's um, incredible. Thank you for that. So, um, You're welcome. It's my pleasure. <laughs>
1: So, should we talk about what we love about this last one, the Syrah?
2: The Syrah. It's, it's big and it's, it's a, it's a this Syrah. Is this so, i all so
0: this, this is the 2016. Uh, yeah,
2: this is
1: a 3 4. This is 3 4.
0: So, another extended age. So, this goes through the original uh, kind of barrel time, uh, like 15 to 16 uh, months. And then we put a blend together. This used to come from. I have a, a a block in the back that I put in for Justin Smith at the beginning of my career.
3: This is thirteen point five percent.
0: Yeah. So this is back when my uh, this is one of the first years that my uh, winemaker was make helping us make the wines, and so this is a thirteen point five percent. So this is where he was really trying to like pull back on the on the on the wines. The things the thing that I would tell you is this is beautiful.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it, but it feels bigger. It, it does. It, what I like about it is it doesn't have that. Um, sometimes for me, the warmth of alcohol can get you know, can be overwhelming. Um, but it's still got some fruit. Yeah, you don't, It's not a shot. It's, it, it's still got, exactly. So what I always call them cocktail wines. And it was um, I'll never forget. Me, in in, in, this is probably a little before your time, but in the mid to late nineties, um, big scoring wines came about. Oh, you know, they have to be jammy and they have to be extracted and they've got to be all these things like. Well, what am I going to eat with this? <laughs> like, I can't, if I'm having a cigar at the bar, right. I'll have this wine, but I don't like this wine. I want to, I want to have a couple of glasses of wine around the meal. You know, like you said, looking for the good in the wine. It was hard to look for the good in those wines other than the fact that they were big jammy bombs. You know, it was just, that's, right. that's not my style. Um,
0: it's, uh, makes- well, you know, it, it can, it can be my, it can be my style in the right, right setting at the I'm right sure, time. Yes, but- I'm, I mean, I've, I've made huge wines as well. I mean, I got some wines from, from when I was first doing it, you know, probably over 16, 17% alcohol. Yes, those are big. Just gi- gigantic, gigantic yeah. monsters. They're beautiful, but they're actually still beautiful. Um but yeah. we we decided early on. I mean, kind of when we discovered that kind of acid was was one of the keys that we needed to make sure that we always maintained in our, our wines.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think that we started pulling back the
0: the, ripe, the ripeness as well.
2: I think that's smart, and I, I think you you know it, it's funny when you, when you go going back on something you said. You know, talk about looking for the good, and you, you talked about your experience in the in the um, the restaurant in in uh, London. I often, so for during my time while I was still playing in the NFL, shortly after you retired, I would lead tours and tastings at, at Mondavi And it started with the trade groups and insiders, and then eventually got to the public groups and whatnot. And, um, I'll never forget, like I'd, I'd be out and about. And somebody So oh, I saw this thing about you in uh, Wine Spectator or in GQ or in Sports Illustrated. And they'd say, you're the wine guy. I'm like, no, I, I really enjoy wines. I'm, I'm learning them. Or I'm getting better. And they said, well, boy, I bought this wine in Napa Valley or I bought it and maybe it was in Santa Barbara or wherever. And they're like, it was me and my wife. And it was so good. We bought a case of it. And then we got home and it wasn't very good. Well, tell me the experience you've had. And they'll always go back to Well, it was this beautiful setting overlooking the valley, and we tasted this wine. It was incredible. I go, it's a location wine. You know, you were looking for the good at that moment, and when you got it home, it didn't taste like that because all those factors in play were no longer there. Um, And that's kind of one of those things where you talk about looking for the good versus trying to pick out something bad. Whereas also, understanding the context in which you drank the wine really kind of sometimes really makes the entire experience. It can make the wine, it can make the,
0: the wine, it can make the yeah. experience and all. Yeah, it's very experiential.
1: Yeah, Glenn, Winers. I could agree with you more on that one. It, I, it, I feel it, like there's been moments and that there's one wine in particular that I think about that out to dinner, anniversary, just the most beautiful night, and it was like the best wine I'd ever had in my whole life ordered a bottle a couple of years later and I'm like, this isn't what I remember. <laughs> this is like transformational when I drank it back in the day. But yeah, it is. It's and that's what we love well, that about wine, wine non, that
0: We, we love my the blue blue nun was my first wine. It was that was wonderful. It was spectacular. <laughs> blue nun.
2: Ashley's too young more blue nun, but that's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> for both of us, it is. Yes, it is <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so here's the thing: I, I here. we, we kept I you feel for, your pain. We kept you for a long time, and we we want to let you go enjoy the, the rest of Sorry. your day and your evening. But um, I, I'm just thinking back to something that you said about when you were telling the story about how you got to where you are right now, and and this unbelievable path that you've that you've taken, and that kind of maybe the whole reason or one of the motivating factors for how you ended up where you are was because you wanted to create a better experience for your kids. And I think as parents, as, as Glenn and I both are, um, you know, you think about that a lot and making certain decisions, giving up certain things, all of it is geared on, okay, how can we, how is this the best decision for our family? So I guess my, my last and, and question to you would just be what, what did the move to, you know, where you are now, Um, and kind of taking that leap of faith and walking away from maybe coaching, maybe finance, all of that. What, what did your kids make of it? What was the experience been like for your family and where you are now?
0: Well, so I love the way you brought that full circle. You've been actually paying attention. That's nice. (laughs) I can, Oh, damn. And I joked in that. Now I can't remember what I was going to (laughs) say. It's
1: okay. We can edit it all. This is all editable.
0: (laughs) Give me a second because I'll get it back. Yeah. This is so, this is so bad. No,
3: you're actually... You're making
2: me feel normal,
3: Terry. Yeah.
2: You're making me feel normal, Terry. Thank you. I don't leave the house. (laughs) Me too. I don't leave the house on a list. My wife gives me a list and and because mold (laughs) goes, if I don't, I mean, I have to have it. It's the way it is.
0: Even with a list, I get it wrong. (laughs) Moving it, we moved here in the middle of the story. I was telling you about my son and kind of the challenges that we faced as parents and the fact that we wanted to give him the opportunity to reinvent himself. But actually we moved here to let him reinvent himself. And it has been a transformational move for our, our entire family. My daughter went from a small fish in a big pond to a medium sized fish in a little bit smaller pond, um, which gave her the confidence to go up to to berkeley um she walked onto the track team um you know she did a lot of things that she wanted to do she's traveled the world now <clears throat> is living in, in norway and has a wonderful life and has done some amazingly crazy things my son is awesome and he's doing really well um and my wife and I got to do 20 years of this uh, wine experience and it's, and it's fed our family and we've had wonderful experiences and we've had the opportunity to meet people like yourself. And so the move from where we were to where we are now was transformational and it's yeah, it's been a good ride. <coughs>
1: Terry, that's a beautiful story. And uh, I'm grateful that we were able to connect with you and taste some of your wine. And I there's I mean, I, we're coming to see you. So just know that. Get ready. Tell Jennifer. We'll come in the summer. All right.
0: We would love, we would love to see you.
1: All right. We, we really would. Well, cheers to you and cheers to another great episode cheers, of guys. Lines. We appreciate you, Terry. Thank
2: you, Terry. Terry Thanks for having us. Outstanding stuff. Cheers.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Outside the Vines. Remember to check out our YouTube channel to get more out of your experience with the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back on our next episode soon. This has been a presentation of Outside the Vines for the love of wine and the thirst for sports.